0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I had to shuffle around my iPad up here. It fell off of my stand. I do want to draw your attention. Some of you guys that were sitting in the back couldn't see this. You know, once I I told Kellett, uh, hey, I, I could teach you how to preach off of an iPad. You know, I'm thinking I'll bring him up to current kind of standard operating procedure. And he eloquently and and you know, kindly said, well, brother, I'll teach you how to preach from God's word. And I said, yes, sir. Uh, today he read from an iPhone, ladies and gentlemen. So I, I just want to let you know I'm making progress with Mike, right? Uh, I, I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 2. Turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, God bless you. I am so glad you're here. If you're watching online, God bless you. A lot of our regular uh, members watch when they're traveling online. And if that's any of you out there today, God bless you as well. It's so good to have you tuning in with us. I want to share with you while you're turning to 2 Peter chapter 2 a nightmare that I have. That's kind of a reoccurring nightmare. Uh, often, this is probably 60% of the time before I preach a sermon... The night before I, I have a nightmare and the nightmare is I wake up right on the dot when service is supposed to start. And so I in the dream, that's a really uh, helpless feeling because I know in my mind I'm doing the math like all right, we got about 30 minutes of singing, communions another 10 minutes. So I got maybe 40 minutes, it's 20 minutes to get from my house to the church. So I got 20 minutes to do something. And I'm, I don't know if you've seen those Snickers commercials where like a guy gets really hungry and turns into this high maintenance kind of diva type personality. That really honestly truly is me. And so with, when I get hungry, I get, I just am hard to deal with. And so in the dream, I'm wondering, okay, should I show up in church in my regular like bed clothes? And be fully fed and cheerful and joyful and encouraging? Or should I skip the meal and dress appropriately and just walk into the church building with porcupine quills out? It, it, the dream takes a turn though when I realize that I've been trying to figure out what I'm going to do, what decision I'm going to make past the amount of time I have allotted to make the decision. And so now I'm for sure going to be late. And I always wake up, I woke up twice last night with the thought of Mike or David or Alan up here saying, well, welcome church, uh, welcome this morning, um, Trent, come on up, Trent, are you out there? Trent, come on up and, and preach for us. And so, what I, I've tried some ways to deal with having that reoccurring nightmare. One, the, the option that I'm doing right now, I've got like three different alarms that are set, One of those alarms is not connected to a power source, it's self-sustaining, so that if we would like lose power, a storm just blows in out of nowhere, that I've got one alarm at least that would go off even if the electronic grid in the United States of America were to shut down, I would be to the church house on time. So I don't know why I have the dream, but but it's a recurring dream before I preach. And the application today for what we're going to speak about is that as Christians, you have got to be prepared. As Christians, as men and women of God, you have got to be prepared because you are in a war. And this is a war God has been fighting since he created Adam and Eve, and they were tempted by the enemy to win his people to himself. And it's a war that's not fought in flesh and blood. It's not a war you can see. It's a war that is unseen. And it's deliberate effort by the enemy to sneak in and tempt God's people and entice them away from God and cause destruction in this life and destruction in the next Some of you are walking around oblivious to the reality that you need to be prepared for war. And the Apostle Peter saw some of those same tendencies in the church he was writing to centuries ago, the first century church. He saw people who were being led away by teachers who had come in and were spreading doctrine and heretical teaching and lies to try and sway God's people away from the truth and toward the lie of this world of the enemy. So this morning I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. Some of you are already there. We're going to pick up the scripture starting in verse 1. The Bible says this. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They'll secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute in their greed these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories join with me in prayer lord we love you we ask uh, that you would speak to your church through your word this morning that all hearts and minds would be receptive lives would be transformed and uh, good conscience would go into the pledge of new decisions to be immersed into you, into Christ Jesus. And God, I just ask that you would help us all to be attentive this morning. In, in Jesus' name, amen. Peter's aware that the church is going to be under persecution by false teachers. The first thing he directs his audience to be attentive about is their past. Sometimes you've got to look to your past to plan an optimal future. He says, if you'll remember the history of the Israelite kingdom, there were lots of instances where men claimed to be speaking on God's behalf and actually the words they were speaking were not from God. It makes you wonder what he's talking about or who he's thinking about as he directs this teaching to his audience. I'm reminded of Ezekiel chapter 13. Prophet Ezekiel says this, chapter 13, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaches in the wall to repair it. For the people of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations are a lie, even though the Lord has not sent them, they say this is what the Lord declares. Peter is saying, Church, remember the words of the prophets who spent lots of time defending against false prophets. False prophets who would say what I am saying and what I am teaching is from the Lord when it is not. Ezekiel saying their divinations were false and lies, but that didn't stop these false prophets from speaking as though they're speaking in the name of the Lord. Peter's telling the church, first century church, this has happened and it will happen. There's a story of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel, in First Kings twenty two. He's going to go to war against Ramoth Gilead. He wants God's counsel. Should I go and fight against Ramoth Gilead? If I do, will I be victorious? In 1 Kings 22, verse 6, the king of Israel brought together the prophets, this is Jehoshaphat, about 400 of them. And he asked them, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? What did the prophets say? Go, go, they, they answered. For the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord whom we can inquire of? You see, the king of Israel knows something right here. He knows that all 400 of these prophets, not one of them is actually speaking words they have heard from God. At least Jehoshaphat's wise enough to recognize false prophecy contrasted to authentic prophecy so he asks directly I've got to find a man of God and it's the same problem in the first century church there are people in Peter's audience that are being led astray and if you look over the the entirety of the Old Testament what you'll find is as a rule the false prophets dramatically outnumber authentic faithful prophets Peter's saying, wait, you've got to wait, you've got to look, you've got to listen, you've got to be aware. Not everyone who says, thus saith the Lord, is speaking on the Lord's behalf. Just because the name of Jesus is mentioned doesn't mean that truth is being mentioned. And people are deliberately, Peter is saying, trying to lead you away from authentic truth using words and phrases and actions and gatherings and methods that sound familiar and seem appealing and almost seem to be from God, but they're a lie. He says, you've got to learn from your past if you're going to plan for an optimal future. You know, as I'm thinking about Peter speaking to his audience, who better to speak to them about learning from your past than him? Peter, right now, at this moment, is living in God's will. He's delivered sermons at Pentecost, baptized thousands, established churches, gone on missionary journeys, healed people. But it wasn't always that way for him, was it? No, he denied Jesus acted rashly, doubted, fell asleep. But Peter had the audacity and the self-discipline to learn from those things and through the power of God to be transformed such that his future looked qualitatively different at this moment in time than it would have had he not learned from the past. As a church, we've got to be aware that The same enemy that was attacking the first century church is still the same old enemy that tries to attack us. Peter's admonishment to his audience in that day is the same for us in our day. Peter goes on to talk about the strategy of the false teachers. In the first century, apparently the false teachers were secretly introducing heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 12. He says this, It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And isn't it true that when we're disobedient or have a disobedient tendency, we want to keep it a secret? And so it shouldn't be any surprise that the false teachers of Peter's day have a tendency to do the same thing. To creep in and sneak around and build relationships and indirectly, implicitly make suggestions and comments and give direction to God's people in a way that's really not direct truth, probably almost deceitful, that slowly over time leads God's people away. Remember, friends, it's not a war that you can physically see with your own two eyes. It's not like there's a dragon we can mount up on our trusty steeds and pull our Excalibur-like sword and go to the cave and fight the dragon. Now, you see, the false teachers in Peter's day were a lot like our false teachers today. It's a little bit of a suggestion in a movie that's a blockbuster sellout. It's a book that really allures us to, to read, even though it's got explicitly sexually immoral activity contained in it. Not only is it in books or on TV or in the movies, it's just the general narrative in Peter's culture likely that was leading God's brand new children, the first Christians ever, away from truth. In Psalm chapter 90 and verse 8, in Psalm 90, Verse 8, the Bible says, You have set our iniquities before you, Lord. Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. Trent, if it's just little suggestions in movies or in books or in newspapers or if news media outlets are being silent on issues, then who really can navigate our culture and actually know the truth? Friend, God knows the truth. Amen? God knows what's true and if you'll deeply connect with God, He will lead you on pathways of righteousness. He will keep you in all truth. We don't have to be over anxious. We just have to follow the teaching of God's word and his leadership in our lives. But that absolutely does mean we've got to tighten it up. That absolutely means we can't be lax in what we watch or what we read or what we listen to or who we talk with. We've got to be aware we're in a war. We can't walk around oblivious and unprepared for the reality of the war in which we exist. This is a strategy of secrecy by false teachers. It's also a strategy of seduction. The false teachers that Peter's referring to here deny the sovereign Lord who brought them. How could it be that a person who's been bought by God could also deny that same Savior who delivered him or her from their sin? But you see, once we become Christians, we realize that there's a set of boundaries in place that are really for our freedom and protection but the culture in which we exist and the false teachers that are still very much active today would like us to believe that those boundaries that exist for our protection are actually there to imprison us. And the encouragement is hey, step out a little bit farther. You you don't you don't really have to not watch that video. You don't it's really okay if you'll read this book. Now, you can pay attention to this news outlet, or you can listen to this gossip, or you can be friends with that group of people. Did God not really say that you should just love everybody? And at this point in time, those of us who have studied a little bit of Scripture should know what I'm saying sounds very familiar. This is the way that the enemy led away the first people on earth, Adam and Eve. Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree? In the garden. And what was it that appealed to Eve? It was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. I'd have this knowledge, it was good for food, and ultimately I would be like God. And it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life that the false teachers were appealing to the Christians in Peter's generation that they also use to appeal to us today. Not only was there a strategy of secrecy and seduction, it was a destructive strategy. And by that I'm meaning that the guarantee for false teachers is that their lives will be destroyed. But man, you've heard this, haven't you? You've heard it. And if you're just like me, you flip on the TV and you see the next big multi-million dollar paid athlete with a house ten times larger than any piece of property I'll ever own, and a yacht and a private jet, and this person just beat somebody up or gotten a DUI, and they're sin-sick, their lives are totally depraved. And I'm thinking to myself, God, in Your Word, in 2 Peter chapter 2, you said that these kind of people who are living immoral, false lives and spreading those lies, they'd be destroyed. How is it that they're being more blessed than I am? Here I am day to day trying to live discipline, trying to live according to truth, trying to seek your will for my life. And yet I don't feel like I'm ahead at all. And there are so many sin sick people. You know, I read all these books and people that have been published on uh, or, or produced and, and put on Oprah who are just speaking in direct contrast to, the, to God's word. And then I look at the book they've written and it's on the New York Times national bestseller list. Because they've written some book, they're a millionaire, and their teaching is false. It's a lie. And there are even some who claim that it's from God. Some who claim that directly from God, they've heard that Jesus Christ is not God's Son. He's a good man. And there's nothing that makes you any less God's Son than Jesus. If you'll just harness the right mindset. How is it that these people, God, have been blessed? I want you to turn to Psalm 73 if you've got a tablet, Bible, Bible iPhone, iPad. And I didn't have you turn to these other places, but I, I'm having you turn here because I really do this week, this month, this year, I want you to look at this multiple times. When you're feeling discouraged or it seems like the world around you is being blessed and you're living a Christian life and it doesn't seem like you are, I want you to remember Psalm 73. The writer of this psalm puts it like this, starting in verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. This is what the wicked are like. I'm skipping down to verse 12 now. This is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They go on amassing wealth surely in vain. I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands of innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Some of us have been living the Christian life for decades and this is how we feel. Man, here I am, God, living in your will, living in your way, living in your word. Doing my best. Giving it my all. And God, these sinners and these false teachers are blessed so much more than me. God, where are you? My wife and I have been trying to have kids for years. And all these sinners and sin-sick people are having multiple kids. Why can't... God, where are you? God, I've been working hard every day of my life. And I can't stop living paycheck to paycheck. And these guys in casinos, man, they're just... They're wealthy. They're winning. They're, they're hitting the lottery. God, God, where are you? Peter, if it's true that the false teachers are going to experience destruction, then where's the destruction? I think the writer of Psalm 73 really gets it in the end. Let's skip down to verse 27. Those who are far from the Lord. God's speaking to some of you this morning. You're very, very discouraged. This is you. You stayed away from false teaching. You stayed away from sexual immorality. You stayed away from the bondages of sin because of your faithfulness. And you're wondering where the blessing is and why people who haven't seemingly are blessed. God would like for you to know this morning that those who are far from God will perish. Verse 27 For God destroys all who are unfaithful to Him. The writer goes on to say, As for me, it's good. To be near to God. Amen. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of all your deeds, Lord. Here's the reality, friend. The 83-year-long life expectancy of the average human being on earth right now, at least in America, is not even a drop in the bucket compared to the life we live after this one in heaven with Jesus Christ. But the enemy would like for you to believe that all there is is what's here. That's one of the biggest lies of false teachers in the history of the world. What's here is what's real. What's here is what's worthwhile. What's here is what you've got to immerse yourself in to get peace and passion and purpose and joy. So come on, throw off the blinders. Throw off the boundaries. Throw off the laws. And just live life how you want to live. If it feels good do it if it's easy it's probably god's will especially if you can get it right now and those same types of false teachers that were leading peter's audience away are still making those same claims today we have got to remember that we are in this world and not of it designed for a world beyond this much greater and more blessed how is it that the supporters of, of these false teachers are so easily taken with their teaching? We get a little bit more of a description, skipping down in Second Peter verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Depending on your translation, depraved conduct might actually be translated sexually immoral conduct or lasciviousness. The false teachers in Peter's culture were leading God's people away through sexual immorality. That really sounds familiar, church. No doubt they were marketing passion and lust and pleasure over God's law and discipline and order and self-control. No doubt they were calling God's people to parties and orgies and sexual sins and, and saying little things like, God designed this. You're born this way. Just go with it. Don't, don't, don't. At least impose your thinking on us. And and why don't you just come and see what we're about? Hey, aren't you supposed to love us? And it was these little twists of truth and bits of deceit that apparently were luring God's people enough away, such that Peter is called to action and to speak against these heretical teachings. Not only that, but the followers, the supporters of these false teachers were erroneously twisting the truth. That's not simply saying that the Bible is not true. It's spitting in the face of God and saying God's a liar. With a deliberate intent to bring shame on God. This is a, a modern day illustration that may apply here. I don't know what happened in Deflategate with Tom Brady and the Patriots. But what I do know is that it seems to me like somebody let some air out of some footballs that potentially gave the Patriots an edge. I haven't kept up with it word for word, but this is my general sense. Whoever lets the air out of those footballs, the moment the air is coming out knows two things. The first is that there is potential for this to help the team. That's the allure. That's the lust. That's the passion. That's the pleasure. But the second is that what they're doing has the potential to disgrace the team of the New England Patriots. So in the moment of decision, something's going on in that person's mind such that the, the consequence of disrepute and shame being brought onto the team seem not to outweigh the pleasure, the passion of victory. And so many of us in our Christian lives are faced with that same fork in the road. Then I've got an opportunity to be self-controlled, self-disciplined, and live in God's will. And bring glory and honor to Him. Or I've got the opportunity to do what in this moment feels really pleasurable and passionate. And bring a lot of glory to self. And too often we're making the decision... That costs us the most because it's not the one that glorifies God the most. And when we get caught in that thinking of disobedience and sin and shame for long enough. All of a sudden now God is the enemy and he's the one who was wrong. And how could we ever have been so deceived into thinking that God's word was true. And now you're getting closer to maybe what some of the false teachers demeanor and affect was like as they were going around proselytizing young new christians over to their way of thinking and behaving and friends i really think that the the application is almost identical today it's people who have been trapped in sin for so long that they've either got to admit that every life everything they've been doing in their life is a lie it's false it's empty it's artificial And that God's word is true. Or they make God the enemy. And elevate themselves to his position of authority. And it's way hard to surrender all of your old lies and artificial living over to Jesus. And say, hey, I'm a sinner. And I repent. And I've got to have you as Lord of my life. But so often we as Christians are right there kind of doing some of the same thing in almost a similar boat. Not diligently pursuing Christ, but sometimes letting our own passion and some of that false teaching and false doctrine persuade us away from living an obedient Christian life. And this is what fuels the sin-sick culture we live in and encourages that kind of false teaching and anti-religious atmosphere to be growing and growing and growing day to day. We've got to take a stand, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to resist. And we've got to continue to start being victorious in this war that we fight in. In conclusion, I think the Apostle's trying to give us some pretty specific advice here. There are two things I want you to take away. The Apostle's advice is twofold. The first thing he says or intends for us to understand here today is that Christians cannot let the culture define their convictions christians cannot let culture define their convictions and here i'm talking about your mindset i don't care if everybody on planet earth says there is no god god is real and god is alive And friends, it doesn't matter what kind of genetic predisposition the world claims we live in or what genetic tendencies each person has. When the same spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us, then we can do all things. So why don't we start living that way? It doesn't matter what the world comes up with or what they teach. We have got to first start with God's Word and His truth as the basis and foundation for our convictions And then let every other precept, thought, principle, philosophy, and belief flow from that foundation. The second piece of the Apostles' advice here is that Christians cannot let the masses or the minorities define their morals. Christians cannot let the masses or the minorities define their morals. Because people in our culture have been living in sin and shame for so long... They've decided to take up the mantle and flip the script that their way is right and anyone else's way is wrong. And whoever infringes on their way is an evil, bigoted, racist, discriminating person. And we have to continue to stand for a biblical morality, regardless of whether or not that makes us popular in the culture in which we live. Now, I absolutely think that we tend to think in big, huge principles and precepts things like uh, homosexual unions or abortion laws and certainly Christians need to take stands on those issues but I think day to day it's it's more applicable to think in terms of being kind to the people that are in our lives and gentle or meek and humble or loving So many Christians take on the rallying call of the most controversial, provocative issues in our culture and we're not doing the basic foundational stuff in our own morality that it discredits. Our credibility equity is too low to influence the people around us to start living and loving the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you under the sound of my voice may have got your convictions all misaligned as a result of false teaching in the culture And some of you may have gotten your morality all out of whack because of the majority or the minority. But this morning, God's asking you to realign your thinking and behaving with His Word. After I pray, while we sing, you'll have an opportunity to respond if that ministers to you. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you so much for your Word God, thanks so much for a man like Peter who was willing to be moved to the point of action at the false teaching of his day. Thanks, God, that his direction was clear. We cannot let the culture define our convictions or the masses or minorities define our morals. God, in the sin-sick world we live in, it's easy as your children to get swayed with that deceit. And I pray if there are any here under the sound of my voice who are not living in accordance with your word, who are being persuaded by the culture in any capacity. Maybe they're not being kind enough or loving enough or disciplined enough or self-controlled enough. God, that you would call out to them in this moment that they would have the desire to realign their thinking and behaving with your word. And maybe, God, it would be so uh, that they would choose to respond because of of the call that you're placing on them right now. I just ask in Jesus' name that any who need A renewal of mind and heart this morning would take this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.